following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. The reading this evening is Galatians 4, 21 to 31, on page 1171 of the exciting new Bibles in, in front of you. Um, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But, but the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born, born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, my name is Brandon. If you don't know who I am, I'm uh, on the staff team here at St. Nick's and a member of the congregation. Uh, and I just want to add my welcome to that of Phillips. Uh, it's daylight savings time, so hopefully you enjoyed your hour, extra hour of sleep. Hopefully that'll keep you going as it gets darker and colder forever. It's so... <laughs> It's like always winter, but never Christmas here in Durham. And uh, so if you're new here, just it gets worse. Uh, so I'm really sorry about that. No, um, thanks for the enthusiastic laughter, Philip. I just really appreciate that. Um, well, uh, we once again find ourselves in Galatians. Uh, and like I said, this is an exceptionally confusing and difficult passage, I have to admit it. So we, if we just acknowledge the giant elephant uh, in the room, that the uh, main imperative of the passage, Paul's, you know, pound on the pulpit, raise your voice, is to cast out the slave woman, um, which is not quite what you'd expect to hear in a sermon, much less in Holy Scripture. Um, well, we have to be careful with how we read this text. Um, if you can imagine uh, in the past and in history this text and the Old Testament story to which it alludes uh, has been used by many to advocate for some terrible, terrible atrocities and dangerous ideologies. Hagar and Ishmael, 
as figures have been used to discriminate against basically everyone, um, against people of color, especially those who are enslaved in America and the Caribbean uh, and elsewhere in the world. Um, these texts have also been used to discriminate against Arabs and Muslims, against Jews. Uh, and during the Reformation, uh, Hagar signified the Pope and the Catholics. So basically, everyone can get offended by this. Um, well, almost everyone, right? Um, which is unfortunate, because uh, when you read the Old Testament text, uh, when we read the Sarah and Hagar story in Genesis 16 and 21, we actually find a story that, that is difficult, but... Uh, it is one that is filled to the brim of beauty, of, of feminine perseverance, of feminine strength, um, of perseverance in the midst of adversity and oppression. For instance, Hagar is the first person in the Old Testament to name God. He is the God who sees. When the Lord speaks to her, he calls her by her name, Hagar. This is something that is probably less common than you might think. Twice God speaks to her. Twice God saves her. Twice this enslaved, oppressed, and impregnated woman sees God. Her son, uh, though not the child of the promise, not the child uh, and the lineage through whom God would save the world, um, her son Ishmael is nonetheless blessed by God. So he too would become a great nation. So we have to be really careful with how we talk about this passage then. And we have to recognize that some of the, this language that Paul is using, uh, especially of slavery, carries with it a lot of baggage for us today. We could talk about how slavery in the ancient world was much different than it is in the modern period, but that really doesn't solve our problem. Uh, and I want to be really faithful to this text and to Paul's message in Galatians, which is, by, by the way, I think is amazing. Um, but I also want to be sensitive to the fact that God wants to speak to us tonight in language that is accessible and language that we can hear and respond appropriately to. So, uh, with this very large elephant in the room acknowledged, uh, what I want to do next is kind of situate the text in the flow of Paul's argument, kind of give a recap of where we've been so far in the book of Galatians, uh, and then touch on a few points on the passage. Is that all right? Yes. Yes, cool. Okay, great. I can continue. Um, so Paul has been writing to his friends in the churches of Galatia because he has gotten word uh, that some Jewish Christians had been causing some trouble. Uh, he had planted these churches and had seen the gospel transform lives, but now these agitators have been telling these Gentile believers that in order to be really Christian, in order to receive the fullness of God's promises and blessings, they had to, in effect, become Jewish. They had to follow the Torah, and, and for men, unfortunately and regrettably, this meant circumcision. Um, Paul responds not by attacking the law, as if Torah obedience, circumcision, these dietary restrictions were in themselves bad or wrong. No, his argument is that God's love and grace was no longer determined by one's ability to perform the law. God was willing to love and save the unworthy, even in the midst of their sin and rebellion. And that's what God had done in the believers in Galatians. But now these agitators are trying to get them to relate to God in a different way. In effect, you know, for God to keep loving you, you have to remain worthy. You have to stay on his good side. And this is what Paul has been arguing against. In, and in this chapter, he describes this way of relating to God as living in slavery, even though you are really a child 
entitled to a great inheritance. If you missed Aaron or Claire's sermon uh, the past few weeks, uh, I would recommend you take a listen to them on our podcast as they go more in-depth on these passages. Uh, They talk about baptism and church unity and freedom that comes from following Jesus. Tonight, I want to briefly revisit those passages and look at them from a slightly different angle. Uh, If you look uh, with me at uh, Galatians 3, uh, verse 27, um, you see, when we meet Jesus, our former lives and our former ways of relating to each other and to God are done away with. We are united in Christ such that there is no longer any Jew or Greek, any slave or free, or man or woman. Look at verse 29. Uh, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul explains that the whole world was subjected to the law, and this law reveals our brokenness and our sinfulness. Because we can never do enough to be good, never do enough to be worthy of God's love. So this law that was meant to order our lives, kind of like house rules to be a part of God's family, this law actually imprisoned us under our guilt and shame when we couldn't fulfill it. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 4. But when the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also his heir. Verses 8 to 20 uh, in the same chapter is Paul's impassioned plea for the Galatians to not forget all that they had experienced when they first turned to Jesus. He warns them against following the advice of these agitators and attempts to do all of these rituals, observe these feasts, obey the Torah in order to be worthy of God's love. These things, again, weren't bad in themselves. It was their motivation for doing it that was the issue. Because the fact was Jesus had already chosen to love them, And his decision wasn't based on how worthy or righteous the Galatians were, but simply because he loved them. So we now come to our text, the difficult text. And Paul, I would like to think, is both writing to these Christians, but I think he probably also knows that the agitators are listening at the door in the congregation, so it kind of functions like a subtweet against them, right? So uh, follow along with me um, in verse 21. Um, and I, I, when I wrote this down, I might not have the same version because we just switched the Bible, so I'm sorry if I say something that's not in your Bibles. It, it's in a Bible somewhere. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> um, so tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, But the son by the free woman was born as a result of the divine promise. Right, so here Paul presents two sons, but really he's presenting two ways of relating to God. Trust in God or trust in self. He's picking up on an element uh, present in the Old Testament story that contrasts the divine promise of God and Abraham's effort to bring it to pass on his own terms. You see, God had promised a son to Abraham, and he had faith in, his pro- in that promise. 
Uh, But it didn't come immediately, and Abraham and Sarah, his wife, were getting old, like super, super old. And it seems that their faith in God's promise began to fade. They really wanted a son. They really wanted grandkids and a legacy, and they wanted to be a part of God's uh, plan to save the world. Uh, But in order to secure that promise, they decided to go with their own plan, their own scheme, rather than waiting on God. So Sarah gave Hagar, her slave, to Abraham, and they had Ishmael, and, but this wasn't the way that things were supposed to work out. As a result, there were all sorts of trouble and jealousy and pain, and it ended with Hagar and Ishmael being cast out. God's plan through Isaac would continue, but Abraham's attempts to secure this plan on his own terms caused a lot of heartache and created a lot of victims. Continuing on in verse 24, we come to this uh, extremely complex and just downright confusing part. Uh, Paul writes, these things are are being taken figuratively. Um, Other versions uh, might read allegorically or that these things are an illustration. Uh, We could probably, we could say a lot about this, uh, but I'll just make this really quick comment. I, I don't think Paul has Genesis open while he's writing the letter and he's methodically transforming the story into an allegory like Pilgrim's Progress or something like that. Um, I I don't think he's reading something in the Old Testament and suggesting that while it says X, it really means Y. Uh, Instead, I I think he's just using the story as an example, Uh, much like we might make reference to literature or pop culture uh, or to a movie uh, to help us explain things. I think this is the case because uh, he's only using a portion of the story, and he's saying at a very basic level. It might have been an argument that the agitators were using, uh, or perhaps it's just a story that Paul knew that people would understand. Uh, But his point in using this illustration is simply to contrast the two ways of relating to God. These agitators are advocating a relationship of slave to master, But Paul is arguing that the Galatians already have a relationship of children to father. This kind of relationship was established by the free gift of Jesus. It wasn't accomplished by human effort. So Paul follows this up with a quotation from Isaiah 54. But how does this really relate in the passage? It kind of seems a bit out of place. Well, Isaiah 54 would likely uh, have been read alongside Genesis 16 uh, in the synagogue service. Um, But more interesting is where these words fit into the context of Isaiah. Israel had been exiled to Babylon, and the prophet was uh, was writing to remind them that this was not the end of their story. The Lord would bring them back from exile. In Isaiah 53, uh, the section uh, right before the one Paul quotes, uh, it talks about the suffering servant, uh, one who would bear the sickness and sin of the people, who would suffer unto death for the rebellion of his people. The servant would bring salvation for Israel. And, And this part that Paul quotes signals a change. The barren would receive children. The exiles would return to their own land. The poor and destitute would be cared for. Where there was only death and grief, there would be now life and hope. And this process of bringing the dead to life would be accomplished by the actions of God alone. Israel may have been exiled because of their failure to follow Torah, 
among other things, but the Lord would be faithful to his promises and to his people. Paul, in effect, holds up these two events, these two events that roughly mark the beginning and end of Israel's story and declares to the Galatians that through all of this, God's love for you depends on his promises, not your performance. And Paul concludes by reaffirming twice that the Galatian converts were already part, a part of the children of the promise. They didn't need to get circumcised or follow the Torah in order to be worthy. In the suffering of the Son of God for the unworthy, these ways were made redundant. Our worthiness or righteousness no longer determines God's love and acceptance for us. Uh, It's, in fact, the other way around. God's love and acceptance for us determines our own worthiness and righteousness. This is what it meant to be a child of the promise. But these agitators wanted the Galatian believers to exchange their identity as sons and daughters and heirs for that of slaves. And it looks like they weren't just arguing with them, but even persecuting them. So Paul's advice to the church in Galatia was twofold. Remove the actual threat. Don't let them continue to disrupt your unity and your community. And secondly, to expel this way of thinking. We're almost done, but let me, allow me to kind of tie some of these thoughts together for us. Fundamentally, this passage is about how we relate to God. It touches on how we view ourselves and how we see ourselves in relation to God. Do we see him as a kind and loving father who's proud of us? Like when you think of God, do you picture him smiling at you or saying, I'm so glad to see you today. I'm so happy you're here. Thanks for coming to church. Thanks for coming and pray. Good to talk to you. Or do you see him as something else? Maybe he's uh, the type of father who's abusive, who's mean, who's cruel, who's just waiting for you to mess up so he can punish you. And that that could really easily play back on our own conceptions of God. A God who begins to look a lot more like Zeus with lightning bolts rather than Jesus on his cross. Or maybe God is more like a distant father or one that passed away too soon or left too early. And maybe you find God to be distant as well. Maybe thinking that he might also abandon you. For me, uh, that's really hard to understand. Uh, I can't imagine that kind of pain uh, for people who have experienced those things, who've had father figures like that. Uh, I've had a wonderful father, um, but even with my wonderful father, who's awesome, um, I still struggle to relate to God in these ways that Paul is describing. It's hard to relate to God with this freedom that comes from knowing that God loves you first, that his love for you is not dependent on your love for him. I can think of no better picture of this than Jesus' parable of the prodigal sons uh, in Luke 15. You've all heard this thought of, well, if not, let me tell it to you again. A father has two sons, and one runs off to a far country and squanders his inheritance. Losing everything, he hits rock bottom. He literally is eating slop from the, with the pigs. And he decides to come back home because anything is better than this. So he sets back 
for home, preparing a speech of what he's going to say to his dad. And he knows he's, he's just going to get the hammer. He's just going to get yelled at. Uh, but he could settle to be one of his father's servants. Only as long as he, doesn't, he isn't rejected. And so he's coming down the road, and the father looks off, and he sees him. And what does the father do? Is that he runs after him. He has this gut-wrenching, soul-stirring compassion that you can feel. And he runs after him, and he takes him in his arms, and he kisses him over and over again. And the son, I mean, he's just weeping because he, he doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't know what's happening. But he's practiced this speech, and it's a really good one. It's going to get him out of all his, pro- all his problems. And so he has to say, and he just, Dad, I messed up so badly. I messed up so bad. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And I, I don't know about you, but I can feel the emotion. I can feel, because I've said that so many times to God myself. But look what God our Father does. He says, get up. You can't be my servant because you are, you are already my son. He throws this huge party to celebrate the return of his son. And he says, for this is my son. He was dead, but now is alive. He was lost, but now is found. But there was another son, a brother, when he heard about this party in honor of his brother, he was so angry. He was bitter and his jaws clenched as he's hearing the servant telling him about this party and how his brother had come back and how great it was. And he was getting jealous and frustrated. And he makes this protest by standing outside because he just can't be in that room. He can't be in that house. And his father comes out and begs him to come and join the party at your brother's home. And you can kind of feel the rage just rising in his brother's voice. This son of yours ruined everything. He has brought dishonor on the family name, squandered our wealth, and we don't even know everything he's done. But what about me? Huh? Have you ever noticed all these years I've slaved for you? All the times I've put in the extra hours, I've stayed late in the office, I've never once disobeyed your commands, you haven't given me anything, you've never thrown me so much of a party, you've never rewarded me for the work I've done. The father responds, but I didn't ask you to do any of that. I never expected you to work like a servant, or work for me because I expected you to be my son, my daughter. Everything I have is yours. All you had to do was ask. My friends, what is your relationship with God like? Do you find yourself toiling away for affection, working harder and longer hours so that God would be proud of you? trying to be productive enough uh, in order to be worthy enough. The Father invites you to come inside, to take a break, just rest, and and just enjoy being his child. Do you find yourself off in a far country, pretending to be someone you're not, trying anxiously to look the part so that people will love you and maybe just hopefully just like you? 
Well, he is the God who sees. He is the God who sees us, who knows our pain, our struggle, our past, and our future. And he knows all of these things, and he loves us so much more than you could ever imagine. And he loves you simply because he has adopted you into his family. You are his daughter or his son. And all he wants is for you to come home and be with him. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.